Isaiah 53. We're going to read the last verse. Isaiah 53. We've been through since Sunday of this week, different verses throughout Isaiah, and we've seen different aspects of Isaiah, and we've seen how this chapter answers every single need. It answers every single question. This chapter addresses every single defect in your life, and as it did in mine. And tonight, it's my intention to speak about this final verse, which I was thinking about today as a crescendo, or perhaps even better described as a climax. When everything that the prophet was speaking about right from the end of chapter number 52, and coming down to this final verse, reaches the pinnacle as we see the Lord Jesus Christ rewarded for everything that he has done. And my intention tonight is to look at this great award ceremony, as it were, when Jehovah himself looks at the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives four reasons why the Lord Jesus should be rewarded and awarded. And we're going to look at those in verse number 12. So let's read Isaiah 53 and verse number 12. It says this, Therefore, and I'm reading out of the Darby version, if you have a different one, uh, it'll sound a little different for that reason. Verse number 12 says, Therefore, I will assign him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and was reckoned with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And we'll ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word. It's been mentioned a few times in this series that at the beginning of the gospel, the first thing that you must think about and you must understand is that the gospel begins with God. The gospel and salvation itself start with God's word. They start with God's thoughts and they start with God's desires. And that's what you see right here at the beginning of this great prophecy. At the end of chapter 52, there are three verses. And those three verses describe what God himself thinks about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as we come to the end, there's another verse, and right at the end of verse 11 and into verse number 12, they describe what God thinks about his son. And I want to impress this on you again tonight, just as it was last night. What you think about Christ tonight makes all the difference. If you see him as another man, then you will never be saved. But if, as you, if you see him as God's son, as a man who died on the cross then you can accept him tonight. You can believe on him tonight and you will be saved. We see what God thinks about him. And as we saw last night, we need to see what God sees in him. We need to think what Christ thinks even about his own work. And I trust that tonight when you see and you hear what we're going to tell you about him, that you'll agree with God and you'll agree with what he thinks and that your thoughts will be his thoughts. And tonight you can leave the meeting with a blessing of salvation. What does God himself think about Jesus Christ? That's the question you must ponder tonight. At the beginning, we see what God thinks. At the end, we see what God thinks. In the middle, we see what the Israelites thought. And the reason why it's put this way in Isaiah is because Isaiah is giving a prophecy, and the context is this, that in a future day, the children of Israel, the Israelites, the Jews, they will look back on history and they will think about what they did 
at the time when Jesus came to the world. And they'll turn around and they'll go back in their mind's eye and they'll say, we didn't treat him the way we should have treated him. And they'll say, we didn't think about him the way we should have thought about him. And then they say all these words from verse 1 all the way to verse 11. You know, there's five verses in here where the Israelites will say how they were wrong about the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there's someone in the meeting tonight and you're going to describe to us how you have thought wrong about the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was saved, there's something I needed to understand. I had been thinking wrongly about him. I had not understood correctly who he was. I would disparage him. I would denigrate him. I would reject him. I didn't believe him because I didn't know who he was. And that's the problem with these men. It says there in verse number one, you see that there was a problem of of ignorance. You see that there's a problem of insignificance. There's a problem of incredulity. You see that first verse in Isaiah 53, it's a very interesting verse. You know what it says? Another translation says it this way. Who would have believed the report that we just heard? And who would have known that the Lord was showing his power through him? Who would have believed the report that we just heard? And who would have known that the Lord was showing his power through him? Do you know why they said that? Because when they saw him, they saw him as just another man, a petty criminal. Is that how you look at him tonight? Is that what you think about him tonight? Just another man, just another criminal, just another person who's suffering for something he did. They're saying, in confession, we thought wrong about him. It wasn't right. We were wrong about what we thought. If you can come to that point tonight, and you can agree with God and say those words, I was wrong. I was wrong about what I thought about him. My thoughts were not God's thoughts. They were carnal thoughts. They were sinful thoughts. They were selfish thoughts. These people said we didn't believe. We saw him as something insignificant. We couldn't even, we couldn't even understand what he was doing. But then there's verses later on where they tell us what they did believe. Another one of those verses in verse number 7, 1, 2, and 3 how they didn't understand. Verse number seven says, says the same thing. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and was as a sheep dumb before her shears. They thought, oh, look at him. He doesn't even defend himself. Didn't though, do, you, do you remember those men when the Lord Jesus was tried and he would stand before the Jewish man, before that court, before the Sanhedrin, and they would accuse him and he wouldn't say anything. And they thought, oh, look at this man. He's just a fool. He won't even speak up for himself. He won't even defend himself. Where's his assertiveness training? How is it? Why is it that he is not telling us who he is and what he's done? Maybe you're looking at him the same way. And you're thinking, oh, look at that man. Look at how he went to the cross. What a fool. He went up there and he died and he didn't even defend himself. Another verse, verse number nine. They talk about how they were wrong and they say, men appointed his grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich in his death. We sent him to die as a criminal in a criminal's grave. Oh, but God had different plans. And God said he will live, he will die, he will be in a sepulcher, in a tomb that belongs to a rich man. Not like you guys think. Just a criminal, just a petty criminal doing common crime and suffering for his deeds. They thought about him. And I know there's people in the crowd tonight, and you think about him. They saw him. And I know there's people in the crowd unsaved. And you've seen him. And your thoughts are wrong. Your estimation is false. Now you be like these people. 
who when on a future day they will say, we had thoughts about him, but we were wrong. Now we agree with God. Now we see what he sees. And now we see a savior, one who's come for us, one who's died for us, one who shed his blood for us. And we are saved. May those be your words tonight as you leave. The other words, we've seen them since Sunday. The positive words, what they really understood and when they were right. Those five verses, one, two, three, seven, and nine is when they were wrong. But as we get to verse four and five and six and eight and 10 and 11 and what we're going to see tonight, it's verses about how they were right about him. And as we saw on Sunday afternoon and in Sunday evening, on verse number four, we saw how the Lord Jesus was one who provided for them. He was the one who took their load. They saw him and they said, they will say on a future day, he's the one who had the pressure on him. He carried the load and he was carrying my load. Oh, how we want someone here tonight to say those same words. He was carrying my load, my sin, my debt. He took it for me and I believe on him. That's what they'll say on a future day, and those can be your own words tonight. We see in verse number five another one of their estimations that were right, and they say he was wounded for our transgressions. They say he was the one who took the pressure. He was the one who provided for us. Healing, healing in his wounds. We read of healing in his wings, but this is healing in his wounds. A wound that was for you, a wound that fell on him, the strike that fell on Christ, and they say about him, That was for me. And as a result, they were saved. Through faith in him, resting on him, trusting him, they received salvation. They looked further on, not only in verse 4 and verse 5, but they say down in verse 6, with respect to our path, we were lost. But he came and he rescued us from that wrong path. Going to our own way, establishing our own standard, doing what we want, pushing him out of the way and following our own course. But he came and he rescued us from that place of vulnerability and he put us on a high place. He sat us down beside him and he gave us salvation. Oh, and that day they're going to be right. On that day they're going to be right. Today they're wrong. And if you do not believe what these words are saying, you are wrong, just like them. It says further on in verse number eight, and we notice there, how he was taken from oppression and from judgment. They noticed, you know what? That was a perversion of justice, a perversion of justice. It was an unjust trial, and we described how that happened, and obviously we're not going to repeat the same message. But we go further on, and in verse number 10, he was subjected to suffering, and he made his soul an offering for sin. And we noticed in that verse how as we plundered God, we plundered the loot, as it were, The Lord Jesus Christ came and he paid. Is there someone tonight that will recognize that truth? You've robbed God. You've taken from him. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who has restored and he has paid for the sin that you have committed. And we saw last night that perfect offering. The Lord Jesus Christ, as he would go and he would look back at his work. And as the King James says, he saw the travail of his soul and he was satisfied with what what he saw. And we trust you'll be satisfied tonight with what you see in the Lord Jesus Christ, that it's enough for God. It was enough for him. It surely is enough 
for you. Tonight, I want to look at that last verse because as we go through all these great blessings that we see in Isaiah 53, and as you read every single one of those verses, and you see what those men thought before, and then what they think now, at least from the point of view of the author, and then you get to the last verse, and you reach an award ceremony as we're thinking of this man, the man that provided, the man who suffered perverted justice, the man who had a perfect offering. Now he comes to the award ceremony, and he sat before God, or standing, and God himself gives the great conclusion about all his work. And he says, for four great reasons, this man will be awarded with the highest reward that could possibly be given to someone. And as we're going to see in this verse, he talks about his submission unto death. He poured his soul unto death. We can see here in the second line of the verse that the Lord, as he, after he poured his soul, he was reckoned with the transgressors. His submission, his identification with the men who were sinning. It says here that he bore the sin of many. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ being that location and the man who received the sin, who bore the sin of many. And in the last verse, you see an intervention. And for those four reasons, God's estimation of him is this. He deserves the highest award. He deserves to be lauded and worshipped and appreciated by everyone in the world. But before they do, I am going to show my appreciation for him. Here in the United States, you have quite an interesting award ceremony. We don't have it in Canada, and uh, I'm sure we have something similar. But it's a lot more dramatic and more interesting here in the United States, and you call it the Congressional Medal of Honor. And uh, in times past, I've seen a few clips of men that will go and stand before the President of the United States, and they'll read the citation for why this man deserves the Congressional Medal of Honor. And the man stands before the president, and they read it all out, and they say exactly what he did. And after they read what he did, then they give him that most prestigious medal. Since the 1800s, it's only been awarded 3,000 times. And if you think about how many soldiers you have, you have had in your military since then up until now, that's not very many people. It's quite a prestigious award that they receive. There's a man who received it in the 70s for the Vietnam War. His name was Ray Benavides. And Ray in the Vietnam War had lots of friends who were stuck in a battle. And as he saw people coming back from the battle over in Vietnam, the, the helicopters were arriving with bodies of the wounded soldiers. And as one of his friends arrived, he bled out and he died in his arms. And he said to himself, being a Green Beret, he said, I'm going to go to that fight. And he got on the first helicopter and he went so fast that he couldn't even grab one of his high-powered weapons. He could only grab a knife and a medical kit. And he jumps into the helicopter, and they scream towards the battlefield, and they were under heavy fire, and they were coming to what they had to land in a place where it wasn't safe. And he jumps out of the helicopter, and he goes to find as many soldiers as he could. Well, as he's running through the jungle, he's getting pricked by thorn bushes. Later on, he realized that they were actually bullets flying into his legs. And as he found the fellow soldiers, he would pick them up and he would drag them to the helicopter as fast as possible. And he's under fire and he's being shot himself and he's having to run on adrenaline. And as he's taking the men back to the helicopter, the helicopter tries to take off and then it crashes. And as the helicopter crashes, the soldiers fly out of the helicopter and he runs over with his medical kit and he's applying all kinds of medication, whatever he can to help these men. And they're on morphine and so on. And then he runs back 
And he's wounded himself. And he goes to find more people. And then he brings them back. And they call in another helicopter. And then he goes back. There was a man who had confidential information on him, on himself. And he had to take those papers. And there was blood in his eyes. And he couldn't see. And he had a concussion. And he had fractures. And he was injured from head to toe. But he kept going back. And he kept going back. And he kept going back. Until they came back to the helicopter. And he collapsed on the ground. And the medic picked him up. And they say they put him inside of a body bag. And as he was zipping up the body bag, Ray Benavidez spit in the man's face. And I imagine he said something like this, I'm not dead. Well, he came back, and he was alive. And the President of the United States put him before a crowd, and he gave him the Medal of Honor. What was he doing? He was pouring out his soul, even unto death. He was willing to give his own life. Well, what we see here is not just one man in one war at one time saving one friend or a few friends. We see the Lord Jesus Christ pouring his soul unto death for all mankind. You read that phrase in the Bible, pouring out your soul, and it normally has to do with emotions. People will pour out their soul. You read that about Hannah in 1 Samuel. She poured out her soul to the Lord. Well, this isn't just pouring out your soul as some emotional thing. He literally, completely, totally gave his life for a work that will be appreciated eternally. And we trust it will be appreciated by you tonight as the Lord Jesus Christ was willing. He poured out his soul, his life unto death to stand in the gap, to pay for your sin, to save you. And God has awarded him. And he will be exalted and made very high on a coming day, much more, much greater than any medal of honor could ever congratulate and could ever speak for. The Lord Jesus Christ poured out his soul unto death. The second one I'd like to keep to the end, and I'm going to tell you why. But you see the third description of what the Lord Jesus did and why he was worthy of receiving this great award at the award ceremony. It says he poured out his soul unto death, he was reckoned with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many. In the war in Iraq, in a city named Abu Sarnak, Staff Sergeant Travis Atkins was on a routine check, and as he was traveling around checking different people, he came up to a certain group of men who looked a little suspicious to him for whatever reason, and as he was checking them, one of the men it became apparent he had a suicide vest. And then they became engaged in hand-to-hand combat, and they're fighting, and they're jostling back and forth, and the man reached for the detonator. And as this man, Travis Atkins, posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, as he saw the man reach for the trigger, he jumped on him, and they say that he gave him a bear hug so that the blow of the explosives in the suicide vest would be absorbed by his own body. And all the fellow soldiers around him were very thankful because they didn't die. Medal of Honor for such a great act of, as they say, intrepidity. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, not only did he, as it were, give a bare hug to sin, but it says here that he bore the sins of many, not just saving a few men. You know, We've seen through those stories, and you'll hear maybe one more, through those stories, you can see that men, through great acts of valor, they will defend their friends. They will even give their own lives for their friends. But who gives their life for an enemy? Who gives their life for rebels? 
Who gives their life for people who spit in your face? Who gives their life for people who want to kill you and take your life? The Lord Jesus Christ, it says, he bore the sin of many. You know that word many? That's a reference to people who hated him. Those are people that despised him. Those are people that thought he was insignificant, just as we saw a petty criminal. But he goes to those men and he says, I will bear your sin. I will be the one who takes all that sin for you, even though you don't love me. I love you and I will bear your sin. What do you think about the Lord Jesus tonight? What do you think about his work? What do you think about what he's done? Are you seeing what God sees? Are you seeing what, from God's perspective how he views the work of the Lord Jesus Christ? How God can look at that man and he can say, he is my beloved son, hear ye him. Can you see how God himself will look down to this world and as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ suffering on a cross, bearing your sin, how he could say with him that I am satisfied with what he has done. What do you think of Christ? What do you think of what God thinks about his own son? It says down here that he made intercession for the transgressors. Well, another rendition of this and another version of the Bible, it's called the NET version, and it renders it like this, that he made intercession for the rebels. He, rebels, he intervened for the rebels. There's uh, another man, Navy SEAL, Michael Murphy, on Operation Red Wing in 2007 in Afghanistan, now not Vietnam or Iraq, but in Afghanistan. And Michael Murphy was part of this group of men, and I believe they've made a movie about this operation. And they were going around and, again, doing routine checks and looking for uh, insurgents and so on and so forth. Well, they came under heavy fire. And this man, Michael Murphy, being a very brave man, he was obviously retaliating and shooting against the enemy as well. But it came to a point where he had to call in help. And Michael Murphy didn't have any reception. You know what he had to do? He was injured. What he had to do was he had to go onto open ground. The only place where you could get reception is where you were totally and completely exposed to the enemy. So he climbed up with all his wounds and all his injuries. And he took the comms that he had. And as he was out in the open, he took fire from all around, all the men around him narrowed in on one target, Michael Murphy. And as he pulled out his communication device and he called for those men to come, he was shot again and again and again. And he would call again to make sure they were coming. And that, in that moment, in that place, he lost his life because he intervened. He went out in the open, received the Medal of Honor posthumously. The president could say, you are deserving of this award for that great act of valor. He stood out in the open. He took all the, the bullets and he took all the ammunition and everything the enemy had. He took it on himself and he intervened for his friends. If he had not done that, his friends would have died. Did you know that if the Lord Jesus Christ had not done what he did, you would have no chance of being saved? You could never go to God and ask for a forgiveness of your sins. If the Lord Jesus had not gone to the cross out of love for your own soul, you would never have the chance to be with him for all eternity. But he did. And he did it for you. And he did it so that tonight you can say, it's enough for me. I'm satisfied with him. I'm satisfied with what he's done. 
I'm satisfied with where he went. I'm satisfied with who he is. And tonight I can say that he is my Savior. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What are you looking for? What are you going after? What are you trying to prove? What are you looking at? Christ has gone to the cross, and it's enough for you to be saved tonight. One more reason why the Lord Jesus Christ would be awarded, as it were, that great medal. And if you're wondering what the medal is worth, it's right at the end of verse number 11 and at the beginning of verse number 12. And it says this, By his knowledge shall my righteous servant instruct many in righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will assign him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. The great award, much greater than a medal of honor, for four reasons, much greater than any reason any soldier has ever received an award for. There's one more, one more, and it's the second one. We've seen how the Lord Jesus submitted to death. He poured his soul unto death, and because of that, you can be saved. We saw how the Lord Jesus himself, he bore the sin of many. He was the person who received your sin, as it were, and he paid for it all. We see the Lord Jesus making intervention for all the sinners. He stood where no man would stand. But in this second phrase, you know, as I was just thinking about this, I was at a loss. There's no man in all of history who I could ever read about, see a movie on, or contemplate who could even come close to illustrating what he did when he was numbered with the transgressors. You see, there's no soldier that has gone, and, you, and surely somebody will tell me after the meeting, well, there was that one time. Well, there was no soldier that has ever gone and has put on the enemy's uniform and gone into the enemy camp and then suffered for every single one of those enemies. You know, in World War II, there's not one American, there's not one Canadian, there's not one soldier from any country uh, that was part of the Allies that would have gone into Nazi Germany and would have put on Hitler's own uniform, as it were, and said, let me take the punishment for him. Let me suffer. Let me rot in prison for Hitler. Not one person would do that. No one. We suffer for our friends. We take grenades and we take suicide vests onto ourselves for our friends. But there's one man who will go and suffer for his enemies. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it say, the second line? It says, he poured out his soul into death and he was reckoned with the transgressors. That's that great verse that we've been quoting over and over and over again in these past three weeks. 2 Corinthians 5.21. We've heard it in the worship meeting here, even on Sunday in Stark Road, how he who knew no sin was made sin was made sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. No man in history could come. No man in history or in the future will come and will stand in the gap, not just for a friend, but for an enemy. Not just for someone they love, but for someone who hates them, who despises them. Which of you would stand in the gap for your worst enemy? And take the punishment for him. That's what Christ did. That's why he's worthy of the medal, as it were. That's why he's worthy of the award. Because there's no man who is his peer. There's no man who you can match to him. There's no man who's higher than him. He's God's own son. And because of his love and because of his desire to save you and to save you tonight, he went to the cross. 
and he was reckoned with the transgressors on that cross. He stood in the middle, one man on the left and on the right, and the Lord Jesus Christ standing there as a petty criminal, reckoned just like the rest of the murderers and just like the rest of the robbers. He stood there and he took it all. And he took it all for you. Search the world. Search the world. Search human history. Search in yourself. Look in your own mind. Talk to the scientists. Talk to the philosophers. Talk to the historians. You will never find a man like this man. You must agree with God. What does God see about him? That's where we started, and that's where I'll finish. At the very beginning of Isaiah 53, one of the greatest chapters in the whole Bible, God gives us this great prophecy, and he tells us what he thinks about his son. He tells us where these men went wrong and then where they went right. And at the end, he tells us again what he thinks about his son. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of the Lord Jesus? What do you think of the man that died? I trust that tonight. Your thoughts will be his thoughts. That tonight you will see what God sees. That tonight you will trust him as the one who has paid for your sin. May the Lord bless his word.